Hello, everyone, and welcome to the audio news from Archaeologica. I'm Laura Kennedy. Rick Pettigrew is away, so I'll tell you about four of the best stories posted online this past week by our partner, Archaeologica.org. Here are the headlines in archaeological and historical news from May 21st through the 27th, 2023. This week's first story comes from the Middle East, where newly found petroglyphs have turned out to be seven and 8,000-year-old diagrams of large game-driving structures called kites. As reported by Smithsonian Magazine, Stone Age hunters placed lines of stones to funnel game into smaller and smaller areas, where the hunters could intercept and kill them or catch them in pits. Archaeologists refer to these constructions as desert kites because from above, they resemble a kite with several long tails. Because they could be as long as two football fields, with some more than three miles long, desert kites can only fully be seen from the air. Yet Stone Age engravings created seven to 8,000 years ago depict the accurately proportioned full spread of several desert kites using the same bird's eye view. Humans have drawn art for at least 40,000 years. What makes the new petroglyphs noteworthy is their precise rendering of a vast landscape structure in proportion and from an imaginary viewpoint. They are the oldest scale drawings known. According to Remy Crassard, a co-author of the study and an archaeologist at the French National Center for Scientific Research, the drawings also show a high level of abstract thought— No one on the ground could see an entire desert kite, but they could still render it in a drawing and recognize it from that drawing. For about 10 years, the study team has used satellite imagery to document more than 6,000 desert kites, stretching from the Middle East to Central Asia. In 2015, archaeologists uncovered two engravings that depicted desert kites, one in Jordan, the other in Saudi Arabia. The Jordan engraving, made on a limestone slab measuring about one by two and a half feet, dates to 8,000 years ago. Saudi Arabia's carving depicts two kites on a sandstone boulder. That 7,000-year-old drawing measures about 12 and a half by nearly eight feet. Computer modeling confirmed that both engravings accurately represented nearby kites, including the pit traps inside them. Previously, the oldest known precise depictions of structures from Mesopotamia and Egypt dated to around 5,000 years ago. It remains unclear whether the engravings were used to plan the kite's construction, depict them for some symbolic reason, or fulfill some other purpose. For example, hunters could have used the engravings as a kind of game plan to help position everyone to coordinate animal capture. The study was published last week in the journal PLOS One. Next, we go to Fayette County, Pennsylvania, in the United States, where excavations at Fort Necessity National Battlefield have uncovered evidence from the First Battle of the French and Indian War. As reported by Heritage Daily, the digs are at Jumonville Glen, part of the battlefield site. The French and Indian War, from 1754 to 1763, was part of a broader conflict known as the Seven Years' War, fought between France and England. In North America, the British colonies fought against the French, with both sides receiving assistance from Native American tribes. Tribes supporting the British colonists at various times included the Iroquois, Catawba, and Cherokee. 
In contrast, the French colonists received support from the tribes of the Wabanaki Multi-Tribal Confederacy, which included the Abenaki, the Mi'kmaq, as well as the Algonquin, Lenape, Ojibwa, Ottawa, Shawnee, and Wyandotte or Huron tribes. The conflict was sparked by a disagreement regarding authority over the confluence of the Allegheny and Monongahela rivers, known as the Forks of Ohio. In May 1754, the dispute turned violent at the Battle of Jumonville Glen, near present-day Hopwood and Uniontown in Fayette County, Pennsylvania, USA. Virginia provincial troops under the British flag, commanded by a 22-year-old Lieutenant Colonel George Washington, led an attack together with Allied tribes against a French camp, killing 13 Frenchmen and capturing 21. The first archaeological investigation of this first battle site is being undertaken through a joint project involving American Veterans Archaeological Recovery, National Park Service Northeast Archaeological Resources Program, National Park Service Northeast Museum Services Center, Paul Martin Archaeology Associates, and Advanced Metal Detection for the Archaeologist Group. The team has uncovered a number of 18th century artifacts, including shot from this first action in the war. According to Fort Necessity Superintendent Stephen M. Clark, the results will provide a deeper understanding of the context of this battle. Our third story takes us to the Valdocaros II site in Spain, where new analytic techniques have suggested that direct human ancestors, or hominins, intentionally used and controlled fire around 250,000 years ago. The control of fire is a hallmark of human social evolution. Learning how to start a fire in a controlled setting, such as a hearth, enabled our ancestors to cook food regularly, keep warm, defend themselves, and more. Establishing just when humans began controlling the use of fire is difficult. Burned artifacts and bones can result from natural fires sweeping across a landscape. As reported by the science news site Fizz.org, the earliest human use of fire would have been a rare event, arising, for example, when hominins took advantage of a wildfire by using some of its embers to cook food. Intentionally starting and managing fire came much later. The earliest clear evidence of fire made by humans is at an open-air site called Gesher Benot Yaakov in Israel, dating to about 790,000 years ago. It includes charred plants and burnt stone tools lying alongside each other. Other sites in Israel, such as Kazem Cave, with finds dating between 420,000 and 200,000 years ago, and Taboon Cave, with discoveries around 340,000 years old, feature similar finds. While this kind of early evidence suggests fire control, it can be difficult to establish a direct link between resources like wood fuel, activities like fire preparation, and fire use intention, arguably a prerequisite for the use of controlled fire. In Europe, it is generally accepted that fire was exploited by hominins at least 350,000 years ago, but the earliest clear evidence of its intentional use and control in Europe only dates from 100,000 to 200,000 years ago, at the French site Menez Dragan, Bolomore Cave, and Abrigo de la Quebrada. The fire remains at Voldocaros, a middle Pleistocene site dating from about 250,000 years ago, pushes back this date. Chemical analysis of the contents of two hearth-like archaeological features provides clear evidence of fire use for cooking, showing both control and intentionality. 
The evidence includes lipid biomarkers, remains of molecules from specific sources such as particular types of wood. Their diagnostic signatures indicate decaying pine. Intriguingly, records of pollen and the surrounding landscape suggest that decaying pine would have been a rare resource there. But molecules called polyaromatic hydrocarbons, or PAHs, which are products of incomplete combustion, provide corroborative evidence. Analysis reveals that the decaying pine at Valdocaros was burned at low temperatures, around 350 degrees centigrade, for relatively short periods. Hot burning fires tend to char the outsides of foods before their insides are cooked, so fuels for hot burning fires may have been reserved for heating purposes. Low-temperature fires, like those produced by decaying pine, may have been reserved for cooking. As for the menu, the site produced abundant clues. Fossil bones of butchered red deer and the wild ancestors of domesticated cattle, known as oryx. This new research appears in the journal Nature. We end this week in Brittany, France, where archaeologists excavating at La Chapelle de Fougerettes announced the discovery of a large Roman temple dating from between the late 1st century BC and the 4th century AD. As the University of Winchester reported, a bronze statuette in the Temple of Mars, the god of war, suggests that Roman soldiers used the temple. But clay figurines of other gods, including Venus and the mother goddesses, make it less certain which deity or deities the temple honored. The site holds two square buildings, one inside the other a plan typical of Romano-Celtic temples in modern France, as well as parts of Belgium, Germany, Switzerland, and the northwest provinces of the Roman Empire. Scholars of ancient religion in the Celtic regions of the Roman Empire once regarded a double temple arrangement as a dedication to a divine pair. The female names were usually derived from Celtic languages, while the male derived from the classical Greco-Roman pantheon. This implied some sort of marriage between them, and by extension, some kind of synthesis of the local culture with that of Imperial Rome. But today, researchers believe this idea reflects the colonial thinking of past centuries. Further study has found that ancient people chose their forms of worship rather than having religions imposed upon them. Romano-Celtic communities could preserve Iron Age traditions or adopt aspects of classical Roman religion, which is reflected in their temple site's archaeology. Some temples had wooden buildings. Few, if any, featured classical images of gods. Others, particularly in towns, opted for a more full-on Roman style of worship, even if old native traditions still underpinned the new rituals. According to Tony King, professor of Roman archaeology at the University of Winchester and director of the excavation, Temples in Gaul, the area that includes modern France, parts of Belgium, Germany, and Switzerland, as well as Britain, were often quite standardized in their architectural form. Such temples featured a small square central tower surrounded by a portico. Much of the public rituals, such as sacrifices, would have taken place in the courtyards, but the exact purpose of the temple buildings is less clear. The central areas are usually considered houses for God. One hypothesis holds that the surrounding porticos developed as shelters for votive offerings. The sculpture, inscriptions, artifacts, and sacrificial remains found in the temples vary widely, with highly localized ritual activities differing significantly from one to another. Another striking feature is the long-term stability of the rituals. 
Whether established in the early Roman period or earlier, they tended to continue in the same form for centuries until the arrival of Christianity. Mars, Venus, the mother goddesses, and possibly others not yet discovered were all likely included in rituals observed in the two newly excavated shrines and in the open-air courtyard where they stood. The poly and polytheism clearly meant just that. Many deities worshipped together. That wraps up the news for this week. For more stories and daily news updates, visit Archaeologica on the World Wide Web at archaeologica.org, where all the news is history. Also, check out our new subscription platform, Heritage Broadcasting Service, at heritagetac.org. I'm Laura Kennedy, and I'll see you next week. This has been the audio news from Archaeologica, presented by the Archaeology Channel. Be sure to check back with us next week for our next edition. You can spread the word about the audio news by clicking on the Share This link on our audio news webpage, or just by telling your friends. Thanks very much for stopping by. (music) 